Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us today where we discuss the interplay of politics and the issues in the political industry as well as the life science industry. I'm very happy today to have uh, Damian Garday joining us. Damian is a uh, reporter with STAT and is in the know when it comes to issues in the biotech industry. So we'll talk a little bit with Damien in a few minutes. Before we speak to Damien, though, let's uh, see what's going on in the life science industry. Uh, Delta variant seems to be the uh, growing concern in the U.S. It's been designated a variant of concern, and it seems like it's even more transmissible than the other variants. We've heard the Alpha variant out of the U.K. We've heard of the variant out of South Africa, as well as a variant out of Brazil. Now, this one seems to have come out of India, and uh, it represents about 20% of the cases in the U.S. as currently, and that's up from about 10% two weeks ago. So it looks like this variant is spreading pretty quickly, uh, doubling about every two weeks. Uh, and Dr. Fauci, who's been the face of the uh, coronavirus task force and response, is very concerned about this and, and has indicated that this is really the greatest threat to the nation's efforts to eliminate COVID. Uh, We're still not where we want to be as it comes to vaccinations. President Biden had hoped to have 70% of the country, at least adults, vaccinated by July 4th. It looks like we're going to miss that mark. But nonetheless, the U.S. is really in a very strong position when you look at this uh, response globally. Uh, The U.S. has a very nice chunk of the population vaccinated already and we could see deaths hospitalizations and the objective uh indicia of how we're handling the uh virus going down uh one of the big concerns though is that the uh over the last few months the number of deaths and hospitalizations uh has been sort of singled out to people that are not vaccinated so for those of uh, people out there that are not vaccinated, you know, that should really be a motivation to get vaccinated. You know, certain people can't. So, uh, but there's a, still a lot of skepticism out there amongst people who are able to get it that just don't want to get it. And we're seeing it looks like about 99% of the hospitalizations recently are uh, directed to people who have not been vaccinated. So that's further evidence that the vaccination process does work, the vaccines work. And importantly, it looks like the vaccines that 
are currently authorized in the U.S., the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the J&J, uh, are effective against these variants, even the, the new Delta variant. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna look like they're around 90% effective against this variant, uh, give or take. So that's certainly good news uh, for those of us that are vaccinated. But again, there's a large chunk of the population that's not vaccinated yet. So it's really important to uh, to get those people vaccinated, whether it's through continued um, education, informing them why this is safe, uh, trying to avoid all this misinformation out there currently, because we know nearly every death, you know, looking at these percentages, every death is pre- preventable. Uh, the CDC has said this, you know, people that are vaccinated are staying out of the hospital and uh, the death amongst vaccinated people is almost zero. So that should be motivation to get vaccinated. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. Certainly, we continue to see vaccination, people getting vaccinated. Uh, you know, one big concern is children who, at this point, vaccines are, well, the Pfizer vaccine is authorized to children down to 12. There's no vaccines authorized yet for younger children, but we know trials are underway testing the vaccines and trying to identify the appropriate dosage uh, for younger children. Uh, That's going to be important as kids go back to school this fall and, you know, weather changes, people start staying indoors uh, because there is concern with these higher transmissible variants that we could see, uh, especially in areas that don't have uh, high enough levels of vaccination, uh, sort of these micro surges uh, in not in a, as a country as a whole, but in small specific areas. So it remains to be seen how we make out there. But nonetheless, the U.S. still, uh, when you look at this from a global standpoint, is handling the virus uh, very well and in a very strong position. We continue to see things opening up and at least for vaccinated people, uh, very strong protection. Uh, I'd like to bring on our guest now on Politics and Life Science Radio, uh, Mr. Damien Garday. Uh, Damien is a national biotech reporter uh, for STAT based in New York. He writes the Readout newsletter and co-hosts the Readout Loud podcast. Uh, Previously, he was with Fierce Biotech and just really an expert in the biotech industry. Damien, thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. So one issue, uh, you know, I really like to focus on with you, and you had written an article recently on this is the FDA's approval of Biogen's Alzheimer's drug. We know that, you know, Alzheimer's is one of those really very complicated and controversial diseases. There hasn't really been uh, any drugs uh, that have been identified yet that actually go to the underlying cause of Alzheimer's. The drugs that are available treat the symptoms. Uh, this approval, on the one hand, you look at it and say, okay, you know, finally we have a drug that can actually get to the causes, but there's been controversy over whether this should have been approved and whether it even works. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's been a saga. You know, as you mentioned, the the lack of new treatments for Alzheimer's disease goes back nearly two decades. And and even then, um, you know, there have been no treatments that really deal with the biological underpinnings of what's going on with Alzheimer's, which gets to, you know, as I'm sure you know, the, the massive disagreement within neuroscience about just what those biological underpinnings are and what a good treatment would look like. And so into that landscape comes this Biogen drug. 
um, which is designed to remove these plaques from the brain called amyloid, which are believed by, by many, although not by everyone, to play a role in the actual, you know, neurodegeneration that characterizes Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, so the controversial approval, the FDA approved the treatment on June 7th, and, and that was really, you know, kind of like the big bang that set all of this uh, controversy in motion. But this whole thing goes back quite a distance. And so the story that we, my colleagues and I published this week or last week, actually, no, it was this week, um, uh, really looked at everything that led up to it. And so it, it kind of begins, I suppose, in March of 2019, which was when Biogen basically declared defeat. They, they were running two large clinical trials to demonstrate that this drug really could help people with early stage Alzheimer's disease. And in order to get an early idea as to whether it would work and thus not spend a lot of money on something that would fail, they designed the trial such that independent monitors would take an early look at the data and declare basically whether it would be futile to continue or whether it was okay to continue. In March 2019, they, they, Biogen announced that, you know, that interim look had happened and they were declaring futility. So the drug was no more. And there was you know, huge disappointment and recrimination and, and et cetera. What we reported uh, this week was that really within weeks of that, as Biogen started to look at the actual data from those canceled trials, they started to see a glimmer of what they perceived to be evidence that it worked. One of the trials was ostensibly positive. And the other was very much negative, but if you looked at just the subset of patients who got the drug for a certain amount of time at a certain dose, it seemed to be positive or at least, you know, in Biogen's mind, um, supported the conclusions of, of the trial that looked better. And so what we reported was that in May of 2019, Biogen's top neurologist had an off-the-books meeting with an FDA official in the neuroscience department, basically to feel him out on this theory that if you look at the data really closely, the drug may be succeeded and maybe is approvable. And what Biogen came away with from that meeting was that the FDA was on board with this idea. So this is 2019. This is long before any of the recent controversies that have taken place. And then as recently as that summer, the FDA signaled to Biogen that it would consider a range of potential options for this drug, but one of them would be approving it on this so-called accelerated pathway, which is where the FDA would grant approval not based on the drug's ability to improve cognition and function or slow the decline, rather, compared to placebo, but instead based on its ability to clear those amyloid plaques from the brain, which, of course, controversial as to whether that has a strong relationship uh, with patient outcomes. And that comes in contrast to what the FDA had told us recently, which is that they didn't consider this accelerated approval pathway until 2021. So I, I realize that's kind of a, a big mess. I'm trying to sum up many years and, and, a, and a really long story that we published and, and kind of ask people to bear with us and be patient. But I think the major takeaway for, for all the people who are, you know, either upset by this approval or, or, or who think that it's fine is that, you know, the FDA really did break with its tradition. Um, in this case. And I think what's been polarizing is the word that I, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, that we all keep using to describe this approval, is that to a lot of people, that's unforgivable, it's dangerous, um, it could have costs to society, to Medicare, et cetera, et cetera. And to a lot of other people, especially on the patient advocacy end, people who want the FDA to be a little more flexible with these things, it's a sign that the agency has listened to the criticism that it's received from many of those corners of you know, that maybe it was too rigid, too stodgy in the way that it approached new treatment. So for those people out there that are skeptics of even the underlying 
uh, causation and saying, okay, well, we don't even buy that beta amyloids or clearing beta amyloids will have an effect. And presumably there have been uh, several drug companies in the past that have explored that, that target and had stopped their, you know, their research on it because they didn't show efficacy. You know, you could see on the one hand how, you know, that could cause frustration in the industry. On the other hand, though, I certainly can understand, you know, not having any drugs approved, even if there is a glimmer of hope, let's put this out there to see if it works. But so how do they, how does the FDA kind of reconcile between, you know, this history and this debate over whether beta amyloid clearance even is a a pathway to uh, working in Alzheimer's patients versus, hey, if if a neurologist looks at this and says this could have an effect in even a small subset of people with Alzheimer's at an early stage, let's give it a shot. It seems to me that you know, one would want to get this on the market, but I, I, where, where do you draw the kind of line in, in reconciling those two positions? Right. I mean, that's, that's the really difficult position that, that FDA is in with this because, you know, as I mentioned, there's been pressure from Congress even for the agency to, I don't want to say be more lenient, but to consider new pathways for treatments, especially for uh, diseases where there are no approved drugs or where the approved drugs are insufficient, frankly, and I think Alzheimer's disease plainly fits that latter category. So what the FDA did here, and this is from from internal documents and statements that they've made, is they looked at Alzheimer's the way that they look at cancer. So for oncology, a a new drug for cancer doesn't necessarily have to demonstrate that it extends patient survival compared to placebo over a multi-year trial, in the name of getting drugs to patients faster, the FDA quite often approves them based on what they call surrogate endpoints, in that case, shrinking tumors. Because it stands to reason that if a drug can make tumors smaller or make tumors go away, that it will have a benefit on survival in the long term. Everybody kind of accepts this. This is, you know, kind of the vanguard of the FDA. What they did in this case is try to apply that basically paradigm to neuroscience. So instead of waiting for a long study that would show that, for example, the Biogen drug has these benefits on cognition and function over a number of years, they looked at these plaques the way you might look at tumors in cancer and said, well, it plainly reduces the plaques. And no one disagrees about that. Like the, the data is there that, that patients who get this drug, uh, their amyloid plaques are reduced. So let's approve it based upon that. But as you, you know, as you pointed out, that's that standard is controversial within neuroscience. I mean, the, the scientific relationship between tumors and survival is, is relatively cut and dry. Um, there's about three decades of neuroscientific debate about the relationship between amyloid and actual progression of Alzheimer's disease. And so I think what we've seen is the FDA kind of trying to have it both ways. They, they hear criticism from all sides, but they're accepting, they're basically um, endorsing the amyloid hypothesis by saying that this can be a surrogate endpoint um, in, in the name of, you know, pleasing the many people who have called for new treatments for Alzheimer's disease. The issue is that, um, you know, as I mentioned before, this isn't oncology. And then, you know, something we haven't gotten to, but, but that comes to bear, especially in the United States, is that it's one thing to approve the drug on a surrogate endpoint and, as you said, kind of give patients access to it because many are so desperate. But the drug isn't free. So Biogen set a list price of $56,000 a year. And since that news came out, you've seen a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of concern about what that means for Medicare. The company estimates that roughly 80%, I believe, of the patients who will receive this drug 
will be Medicare beneficiaries based on the age of people who develop Alzheimer's disease. Um, and so once you put a dollar figure on it and you factor in that in many ways, the evidence is inconclusive, um, is based on a surrogate marker, and that many people who get this drug may in fact not benefit from it at all. Um, I think that's really where like the rubber meets the road in terms of the controversy is that this isn't just a thought experiment, it's, it's real dollars and it's real dollars that could go elsewhere. Um, and it's Medicare, which is a, you know, a program that has been nearly bankrupted in the past. You know, it, it's um, delicate balances often are, are, are in place in, in state Medicare budget. Yeah, that's a great point. And do you think, you know, it's one thing to have debate over whether something should be approved, but uh, as you pointed out in your article, there's actually uh, people are calling to have the pe uh, FDA officials fired over this. You know, is that why, you know, it's just such a visceral response? Uh, obviously, everything's political now nowadays, but <laughs> is it because of these costs to Medicare? Because, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, I disagree, this drug shouldn't have been approved, or, you know, if it was approved, maybe it's approved for a very small subset of patients, but to call for people's firing seems a little over the top. Is that, does that kind of get to the, the Medicare issue and the costs associated with, uh, the, with Biogen's drug? I think a lot of people, a lot of the, the, the very visceral anger, some of it is related to cost. For a lot of, especially the academics um, and kind of like regulatory watchdogs involved, I think they view it as being beyond the pale. I've seen or accusations of regulatory capture. Their view is that the FDA has lost the plot, you know, that, that they exist not as partners to the drug industry, but as regulators, the way the FAA should regulate Boeing, for example. I've heard people cite that example as, as an extreme case of, you know, where regula regulation goes wrong. So I think a lot of the calls for resignations and investigations and, and firings are, are related to that. And, and what people perceive as, uh, this approval being the where things got beyond the pale, almost like the tip of the spear of what has been a decades-long evolution of the FDA. Um, and, and curiously, you know, one, it's an evolution that many people now, very angry, were calling for in the late 80s and early 1990s. During the AIDS crisis, the FDA had its famously stodgy gold standard approach to approving new treatments, and in this case, new treatments for, for HIV. Um, and people protested. And, and, and I mean, history says, rightfully so, that the FDA needed to change its policies to allow for expanded access because people were dying at such high rates. And so that period where the FDA began approving new treatments for HIV based on surrogate endpoints, you know, much like with oncology and with this, is, is looked upon fondly. You know, I mean, people say that, that that was a, you know, Anthony Fauci, for example, like, you know, when, when people talk about the AIDS crisis, it has a small number of heroic government officials, and in many cases, they're the people who, who led this change at the FDA. So a lot of the critics now look at it as, okay, but now you've gone too far. That, you know, this was all well and good in the name of patients, but it's since been exploited by pharma, is how they would characterize it, and that the FDA has become almost like a willing partner rather than, you know, the police force uh, of new drugs. And so people look at this as, as um, really the breaking point, and then you add the dollar amounts on top of it, and then people are upset about that. You add the, um, you know, as our story points out, the close relationship that they had with Biogen throughout the process, and that upsets people. Um, I think it's, it's key to point out, because I've gotten this question, and maybe it means we didn't make it clear enough in our story. There were no allegations of kickbacks or, or anything illegal. Um, or that, that the idea that the FDA was, was bribed or, or was, was swayed by Biogen through some kind of 
immoral means. I think what comes through in the reporting is that the FDA officials really wanted to approve a new drug for Alzheimer's disease. Um, it's been so long, you know, and, and they hear from patients. The Alzheimer's Association led a delegation of patients and caregivers to talk to the FDA reviewers during the review, which some people were bothered by that. But I mean, there's just no question about the fact that these scientists at the FDA are also people. And, and that comes into play here. And I think that's kind of a, an interesting wrinkle to it as well. And to be fair, it sounds like that the FDA is requiring continued monitoring of the efficacy of this mm -hmm. to show, in fact, that patients who receive this do show some type of uh, efficacy. So as far as next steps, you know, looking into a crystal ball, how do you see that playing out? Do you think uh, I know it's very unlikely to have something withdrawn after it's on the market, but do you foresee this, you know, getting political or do you foresee this as getting, you know, these pharma and academia uh, sort of pushing and trying to get this removed? Or do you, do you kind of foresee this as, okay, the FDA is going to do its job. It's going to look at additional data as it's identified and just make a, a an educated uh, decision after that. It's difficult to know because some of the the parameters are are interesting. So Biogen has until 2030 to turn in the results of this confirmatory study. The company said that it's going to work as fast as possible, but they haven't committed to a timeline. But it, the point is, it could be quite a number of years. And then furthermore, the exact design of this study has yet to be decided upon. And you can imagine there could be complications. You know, running a placebo-controlled study for a drug that's already FDA-approved might be difficult to enroll, right? Because anybody who chooses to join the trial runs the risk of getting placebo when conceivably they could just get the drug prescribed to them. So, so there are a few pushes and pulls there. Um, and then likewise, other Alzheimer's treatments that target amyloid, based on this standard, based on this idea that you can get a drug approved by just reducing the amount of plaque in people's brains, I don't think it's fair to say that it's likely that one or more will win FDA approval in the next few years. There's an antibody from Eli Lilly um, that in a mid-stage study showed a really powerful effect on, on amyloid in the brain. And Lilly uh, has signaled that they intend to submit those data to the FDA to see if they can win approval. So it, it's interesting, yeah, to look into the future, it's like, I do believe that one day we will get better, if not definitive data on the Biogen treatment. And the FDA would have the authority to rescind the approval if, if that confirmatory trial comes up negative. It remains to be seen whether they would exercise that authority. It also seems very likely to me that this will be, there will be probably a multitude of amyloid targeting treatments approved in the coming years, which, you know, on some level could muddle the, the collection of data that we all want. But on the other level, it would probably presumably bring price competition. A lot of people point to hepatitis C um, about 10 years ago, I guess. Uh, Gilead Sciences came up with a pill that basically cured hepatitis C over the course of about eight weeks. And it cost about $80,000 for a course of therapy. And everybody freaked out quite understandably because, again, Medicare budgets were overburdened. Within about a year of that, however, AbbVie came up with a pill that did pretty much the same thing. Later, Merck did. It basically became commoditized. And over time, that price tag came down effectively because these companies were having to compete on price. There is potentially a world where that happens with Alzheimer's, where new amyloid treatments come out. And so Biogen is forced to give discounts if they want to win over patients and so on and so on. And that $56,000 number becomes a thing of the past. The important caveat to that, of course, is that the hepatitis C treatments I was referring to cured the virus. And nobody is claiming that these drugs cure Alzheimer's disease. And as we mentioned, there's still debate over whether they actually help. But at least in market terms, 
it does seem like some of the problems that we're facing now might kind of correct themselves because of competition. Well, great information, Damian. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. Uh, Damian Garday from Stat News. Uh, if you haven't checked out Stat, check it out. They're really uh, top-notch when it comes to biotech information and news. And Damian, uh, really can't thank you enough for shedding some light on this really important issue to a lot of people out there. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Uh, thank Damien Garday for joining us as well, providing that great information on uh, Biogen's Alzheimer's drug. Uh, hope to talk to everyone in, next week, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.